going to VAR. They're checking. <laughs> hey, Connie. Check complete. Let's head over to the bar. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to episode 120 of the VAR Bar podcast. My name is Jake. I'm, of course, your resident Chelsea fan here this week. I'm back hosting the boys. It's getting more and more regular. Let's hear it. We've only got a couple of us here today. Strider, what's going on, man? Yes, Drake. All good, man. How are you? Yeah, all sweet. All sweet. And Toast, what's good with you, bro? Yeah, I'm great, man. Good to be back for another episode. Uh, obviously, off the back of a nice uh, pre-season victory again. So, yeah, man, buzzing. There we go. Well, I'll tell you what. Our intros are done. Let's not waste any more time. Let's just jump straight into it. Um, we've got to talk about that game to start off. So Chelsea played Arsenal last night in a pretty packed day for pre-season friendlies. Um, it was at 1am. I definitely wasn't staying up for it. No I chance. woke up to a message at half six from our boy Tab saying 4-0. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to be good for Chelsea considering he put it in the chat being an Arsenal fan. Um, Calvin, you are the relative neutral given the fact that you hate both teams in this situation. Um, before I give Toast the opportunity to speak on it, a 4-0 drop-in is never good, no matter if it's preseason or not. How do you think both teams are going to be looking at that particular result? Well, to be honest, I was shocked when I saw the result. Um, although it is preseason, so there's an argument you can take it with a pinch of salt. I think it's quite important, the fact that Arsenal have won all their games so far and to lose that, that kind of scoreline, um, considering Chelsea put out a strong side, isn't great. Um for the obviously the season starts in a couple of weeks and it's not the momentum you want to go or have going into the the first game. So I think it's a big result for Arsenal. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be too too panicked if I was a Chelsea fan. Um, and I think what matters is when the season kicks off on the fifth of August, whether Arsenal can continue that. But yeah, it does look good for them at the moment. Their their new signings are doing well. Saliba's come in off the back of his loan and, and he's performing well. So. Yeah, I think it's positive for Arsenal right now. Obviously, I don't like either side, so whenever either of them win, it's never good. But yeah, it's a it's a good result for Arsenal, to be fair. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Toast, what, what were your thoughts on it? Because obviously we were having the discussions in the group chat, but I just want you to let the listeners in on what you were thinking. Yeah, of course, mate. Um, obviously, on paper, 4-0 is a great result. Um, you kind of look at, um, I guess, the lineup that both teams put out, relatively strong. But again, for me, I, I'm, I'm definitely not somebody that I read too much into like any kind of pre-season result. Anyway, we're playing Chelsea, I think, in November um, at the bridge. I mean, um, it's going to be a completely different sort of game. Like 4-0 is not the goal between the two teams, obviously, given obviously how end of last season um, ended up. But I think my main takeaway really was, um, I think the reason Arsenal actually won, I don't know if you've managed to catch the highlights, is if I'm honest, like looking at that Arsenal team, not only like tactics-wise, personnel-wise, that's more or less like 98% of the team you would expect Arsenal to kind of play, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is I feel as if this preseason, while it's actually been really solid, is because we've always put out quite strong teams. We've more or less put our first team out more or less every game. Um, uh, Partey and Shaka sitting, um, Martinelli on the on the left, Saka on the right, Odegaard through the middle. Um, the only real differences has been a like-for-like change. Gabriel Jesus coming in for Lacazette. And then um, Saliba obviously playing right back. But other than that, it more or less was basically the, the exact Arsenal team that basically played at the end of the season. While I look at the Chelsea team, you obviously had Emerson in the side. You obviously have Conor Gallagher. He obviously is a Chelsea boy, but I mean, he's not obviously played in the Premier League for you guys. Raheem Sterling's obviously a new silent, going to take him some time to get settled in. I was quite, I did find it quite interesting that Habert played out on the wing when again, I feel like he's been like your nine for, I guess, the, the back end of last season so for me just from a tactical standpoint and from a personnel standpoint I personally don't see that team that Chelsea played um, I mean it, it won't be completely different like when the league starts but I, I definitely feel as if there'll be a lot of tweaks in terms of potentially the tactic you're definitely going to have a Koulibaly kind of come in I, I mean I'll be surprised if um, um, Habits doesn't kind of continue on um, as a number nine again Conor Gallagher is going to take him a little bit of time to um, kind of get settled in. So, I mean, I think Chelsea will be fine. I think Arsenal just really benefited from the fact that that more or less is our team. And um, we've kind of played that same system uh, for a while now throughout like um, Arteta's reign. And I think we just kind of, obviously, everything just kind of came together on our side 
and obviously didn't quite come together for Chelsea. So that's just that was my biggest takeaway really. But obviously, really good to see um, Jesus score another goal again. Um, shout out Shalom because obviously he didn't think Jesus is a is a, is a good finisher. He doesn't think he's a clinical finisher. I mean, I don't know what he's been watching all, all these years, but I mean, again, very well taken finish, a little dink over it. Mendy, obviously a very good goalkeeper. So yeah, man, a lot, a lot of positives to kind of take away. But um, again, like I said, it's not the Chelsea I kind of expect to see uh, when kind of the league gets going. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. Like, my takeaway as a Chelsea fan, obviously, like, from reading about it as well, like, the first half, we were lined up as a four at the back. And yes, we both lost. We lost both halves 2-0. But that first half, like, apparently we were dreadful. Yeah. Like, this is a team that's not set up to play four at the back. Tuchel, I think wants to eventually move there but we just don't have the personnel for it right now and it is showing I we just we did not look good whatsoever second half we were a lot better once we went to three at the back but obviously not good enough I think like he's there's a lot of rhetoric to Cal after the game he was saying how it's not wholly to blame but just all the traveling we've had to do and I'm sat there like well, we met a neutral venue, like both <laughs> teams having to travel, everyone's having to travel. I, yeah. I get you're trying to downplay it, but there's also the side of the coin where you don't actually even have to mention that. Like, just say, we're just not where we want to be with our preparation right now. And right now. we've got to sort that out. But- like, he's he's gasping for signings and we'll obviously talk about our troubles in that area as well in a while. But it just, I think the, you hit the nail on the head there where... Arsenal look like a very settled team. They've done their recruitment nice and early. They're getting into a rhythm. Whereas Chelsea football team right now look like a team without any rhythm. They just are stopping and starting. You're wanting to get players in. You're wanting players out. It's just not settled whatsoever. And we're not going to be able to perform at our highest there. And it definitely is showing. Like Throughout preseason, whereas Arsenal, for example, have been putting teams away, we've struggled every game. Now, some of that's due to fitness, but a lot of it is due to the fact that right now, Two, we're two weeks away from the start of the season. I don't think you can pick Chelsea's first team right now. And that's not a case of, oh, there's so much death. It's a case of who's actually going to be available. 100%. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Definitely going to be interesting. Um, we have to talk about the outgoings and ingoings, especially the ingoings. The major one is the Kunde deal. So as far as I believe it was Friday night, you had Fabrizio telling me on my timeline Final papers are being checked. We are pretty much at here we go stage. Wake up Saturday morning and a Barcelona insider is telling everyone that Kunde's agreed to go Barcelona. So, I mean, Strider, obviously, Chelsea have faced a couple of L's this window. You think to the Rafinha deal, you think to the Delict deal. If if they miss out on Kunde, which apparently there is a chance of now, do you think that's the biggest L Chelsea have faced this window? Um, it's a tough one because obviously Barcelona for a lot of players is, is the dream, you know, Barca, Real Madrid, that kind of thing. And obviously Kunde already being in La Liga, maybe he would prefer to, to stay in the league. I think, you know, Rafinha was a difficult one because I thought Rafinha was actually done. Like, and then all of a sudden, you know, like after a couple of days, Barca have somehow found the money to, to buy him and, and obviously take him off you. So, I don't know. I think Kunde would be a good signing, but I don't know if it's like as big as it was Rafinha, just because I actually thought that deal was done. Like literally, I saw him in, in Arsenal. In um, well, I did see him in Arsenal shirts as well, to be fair, before you took him. But I saw him in Chelsea shirts. I was seeing compilations and things like that. So I definitely say that. I think the issue is yeah with Chelsea at the moment. Do you want a player that doesn't want to come and play for your club? Like personally, I I wouldn't want that. Like I'd want someone who wants to come and wear the shirt. And and put, give a hundred percent, and that's not to say he wouldn't if he was to sign for Chelsea. But knowing that you're kind of the backup option, um, I wouldn't want that. So it is a bit of an L. But at the same time, you're Chelsea. You're going to find another replacement. I don't think it's a it's a big big deal. Um, yeah, go for it. Touch. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to touch on that to be honest. I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised because I like I know Chelsea. I've always kind of given them a lot of respect on the transfer front. Obviously, I know. Um, obviously a new kind of owner has kind of come in, but I'm surprised that a team like Chelsea still kind of two weeks um, with about two weeks to go to the season, haven't really kind of got themselves together and really made the, the signings and kind of like for, for there to still be gray area two weeks before the season is like, is just not going to get it done. Like, I mean, obviously I watched the highlights of the game yesterday. Obviously, as you mentioned, I think you started as a four in the first half. 
um, Chalabar was at fault for um, uh, the first goal. Um, I think I think Chalabar's a good player, but he's definitely very mistake prone. I, I do not think Chalabar is ready to kind of be a starter in the Premier League. Obviously, we know um, Thiago Silva has bad experience, but we're talking about a player though who's who's very close to kind of the end of his career. He's obviously very old. You do have Kulibali coming in now, but it's obviously going to take him a little bit of time to obviously adjust coming from a new league. Um, it's crazy to me that knowing that obviously it was a good chance Rudiger was going to leave and he did, and then obviously Christensen leaving as well, that you've really kind of just not got yourself together from uh, the centre-back standpoint. Obviously, I understand you guys have, um, I believe, is it Ampadu? I think he's a centre-back. Um, but again, I mean, is that somebody you can say, you know what, OK, game week one of the Premier League, maybe we haven't got Kunde. Is it happening? Isn't it happening? We'll, he, we'll, we'll just kind of put him in. So, I mean, I think, yeah, just overall, I, I'm just very shocked that the situation Chelsea are finding themselves in. And usually it, it's Arsenal or like the likes of Tottenham that you kind of see going back and forth with... Um, in, in like I guess uh, transfer dealings really so yeah I mean it, it, I feel like Chelsea really need to kind of buck up their ideas man because like, like we said the Premier League is two weeks away I think for me this is why I think Kunde would be the biggest L because I, I respectfully disagree with you here Strider that with Rafinha like when you read about it, like he had had a Barcelona deal done with him in some like I think it was February March like he had already agreed to go there it was just a case of whether Barca could find the money and the links they've gone to to find this money is unbelievable, but it is what it is. Whereas Kunde, like, I don't know if you boys remember, but at the start of last year, we nearly had him sewed up. And then we sold Zuma and Sevilla went, all right, well, we'll have the money you've just made from him and put that on to us. So they moved the goalposts at the end. We rejected it, but Kunde was still fine to join. So the start of this transfer, we know, and totally bring it up, we're down to essentially starting centre-backs, like, we know we've got a very big problem with our depth there. And you've got someone like Kunde who has been impressing in La Liga now for, what, two, three years at the highest level in the Europa League and Champions League. Like, season performer, he's young, he's 23, he's only going to get better. And instead, I think our eyes drifted to someone like Delict. Oh, Koulibaly came available, let's go wrap him up. And we have done that quickly. Tuchel still wants to bring back Kimpembe from his time at PSG. And that's just opened the door for Barcelona. And I think that's the problem here is that if we had just prioritised Kunde and said, right, let's just get this done, start the window, take a couple of weeks, don't even let Barca walk in, deal's done, he's in the squad, we can move on. We've dillied and dallied and not made him a priority. And all of a sudden, it now, apparently, like from the Chelsea reporters I follow, we're still the quote-unquote favourites. But it's definitely gone down reduced wise in terms of a likelihood of a transfer you have to lay the blame at Chelsea there and that is the Bowley and Tuchel ring because they've completely been in control of this situation and just let go and this is what happens if you're not on the ball and I get that they're both having to take on responsibilities that they either don't want to or aren't necessarily qualified to but that's the that's the situation deal with it and but Jake do you not think it's that looking maybe... badly Sorry to cut you out, but do you not think that maybe the players just want to go to Barca as opposed to Chelsea aren't getting the business done in the correct manner? I think that I think there's obviously a point to that. Like the Rafinha situation is the exact same, or someone like Delict to buy and like they've obviously picked us, picked them above us. But at the same time, like that that's why I think like just just take Kunde as an example. Like you've had personal times agreed for a year. Barcelona have already had to do all these different what do they call them levers? They've had to pull in order to get these deals done. Like, if we had just been more on the ball and just been quicker about it, instead of going after, shooting from the hip and going after all these different targets, I think we could have got him in a lot quicker, to be honest. In, like, instead of going for Kimpembe, which as a Chelsea fan, I will categorically say I don't want in my team. I do not rate him at all, especially for the money we're going to be putting towards him. Like, I'd rather have just stop wasting time with them and go after Kunde and make him feel more of a priority and just spend more time and resource getting this deal done. That That's the way I see it. I think I, it's, it might be harsh, but I'd rather see our team do that than just and have almost more of a plan. I think that's what's stinking out to me is that there is just a lot of shooting from the hip, calling people that we can, that we know, and seeing what we can do, as opposed to, we want him, let's just get him done. That Spurs have done, that Arsenal have done, that 
Liverpool have done, that City have done. Like us and United are the ones standing out, and even they're starting to make business now. As are we, but we're the two teams that are standing out, going for players and not getting those deals over the line for one reason or another. So it is what it is. But I want to talk about a deal that has gone over the line, Strider, for your Spurs. It seemed like the one that took a while. Spence, your right wing back, has made the move to Spurs. Was it twelve and a half million that could go up to twenty, depending on the bonuses? Like, yeah. It's the only one that's been dragged out a little bit for you guys. How do you feel about your signing? Um, yeah, man. Obviously, it did take a while. I'm not too sure why. I think we were trying to haggle the price down. I think um, obviously Middlesbrough wanted wanted a bit more money. I think in the end, the uh, the deal was was about right, but. Yeah, he's got a lot of potential. Um, obviously, I, I can't say I watched a lot of the championship last year, but a lot. Of, um, I saw a lot of him in the FA Cup, and he played very well, particularly against Arsenal. I think he's got potential. I think he is. He's obviously got pace. He looks good defensively, but there's obviously going to have to be a lot of improvement there because he is young. Um, I did see a weird kind of quote from Conte saying that the club kind of came to him with the with the player. And he kind of said, yeah, gave it the, the okay. Which is obviously like, I think that's how we're running our business this season or in this window, like sort of Paratici, Levy and Conte are kind of doing deals together. And anyone who Conte doesn't want, he won't get. And like, I know Longley, that signing got a lot of stick, but Conte gave it the, the green light. So I do like how we're doing things. But in terms of Spence, I think, yeah, it's an exciting signing. I think we do, we do need right wing back because I'm still not sure about Emerson Royale and, Matt Doherty, although he did have a good end to the season before his injury, I still don't know whether he's 100%. Um, whether Spence starts the season or not is yet to be seen. But yeah, definitely for the future, it's a good signing. And I'm hoping that he can sort of um, make that step up to, into the Premier League because it's not always easy coming from the Championship. But yeah, got the deal done, six signing of the window. And uh, hopefully more to come. I'm hearing that we might be after an, an attacking midfielder, which I think we do need someone a bit with a bit of creativity to unlock defences. But yeah, so far, um, we've done some good business and I'm happy that Spence is finally over the line. I think, um, yeah. I think yeah, I think Spurs definitely deserve a lot of credit for this signing. Um, yeah, I mean, my personal opinion, I don't think um, Emerson Royale is it. At right back, as a starting right back, he, he might he might be able to make it in the Premier League as a, as a second string right, right back or a replacement right back. And obviously, yeah, Doherty did have a good end to the season, but... Um, I mean, if we're talking about his time at Tottenham in comparison to maybe how he plays for those couple of seasons at Wolves, it's like chalk and cheese, really. He's not really kind of gone on and kicked on. And I mean, I stress all the time how much it is, it is a wing-backs league. And Tottenham have hit the jackpot with Spence, really, man. I mean, I, I, th- I think he's going to be a really, really good asset for them. Like young, strong, like fast. Um, yeah, and obviously very gifted, like technically. I, I mean, I can see him being Tottenham's right-back of the future. I can, I can actually see him starting like... Um, when the season kind of starts and uh, when he kind of gets into the into the swing of things, really. And for me, it's, it's a frustration, really, because I hate seeing a team address um, a position where which needs addressing, you know, because uh, teams are always so guilty of kind of overlooking like a, a clear kind of need, you know, and Tottenham have just said, you know what, there's a, there's a right back available here. We need to strengthen in this position. And, and they got the job done, you know, like there wasn't too much dilly-dallying um, I think once there, there was, uh, I guess, interest from Tottenham, it, it became very apparent that they were going to get him one way or the other, like however much it kind of costed. So, yeah, I mean, kudos to Tottenham, man. Um, I think they've got a good player off the market for sure. Yeah, I, I think for me, like, I just harken back to the Chelsea days when like Conte would just constantly shout and shout and shout from the touchlines. He still does now as you're more than aware, Strider. And I think Spence, when he plays, is probably going to get that a lot more fairly or unfairly just from the lack of being able to adapt. And also, like, Conte not necessarily having the best reputation with younger players. He wants that experienced player that knows exactly how to do their job. And it's I think it's all down to Spence. Like, the kid's obviously got the talent to succeed. It's just whether or not he takes to the coaching. If he takes to Conte's coaching and takes to that relentless hard work, the kid will fly. If he wilts under the pressure, like he, he won't. Simple as that. Like it, there's no either or really. I think with someone like Conte, he's coaching. So it's it's definitely an exciting signing. Like say 
I think that's probably the most Spurs signing of the window for you guys. Like the one that's not out of character. They're buying the younger talent, hoping to developing into a starter. But we'll see, man. I think are you like apart from the attacking midfielder, you guys look pretty dumb. But to have this, to have five signings wrapped up already, and then adding someone like this with his talent, I mean, it looks like a great window for you guys, to say the least. Bar Munyaradzi's hate, but we'll go. With, we'll go with that. <laughs> Mate, you um, know what that, that Munya's like, where he don't want to give Tottenham any type of credit or nothing. Like, so, yeah, you know what he's like. But one thing I do want to say, yeah, just quickly on that, is I do think we need another centre-back. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I know Ben Davis played really well towards the end of the season. Um, Dyer had a good season last year as well. But I still think, like, Romero is the only centre-back we've got of real, real quality. Longley is a, a TBC I don't really know. Like he's had a lot of stick. Can he turn it around? I don't know. But I'm still just not fully convinced about our centre backs, and that's one thing I do hope that they can maybe address. But obviously, we went after Bastoni. It didn't. It didn't work out. There's links with Paul Torres. We've had links with a few, but I just don't know whether we're going to actually be able to to do it. So that's my only real concern. But in terms of like fullbacks and attacking areas and centre midfield, I think we're pretty solid, man. We're solid there. What I've taught them, sorry, hate it. Um, Tobes, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to you. Dalvin Nunez scored four goals against Leipzig. If he scores four goals every game in the Prem, because he's obviously scored four goals against Leipzig, he must be really good. Then he's going to end up breaking the goal record. He's going to be the best striker ever. Is he going to win the Golden Boot, or am I just being excessive because he scored four goals in a preseason friendly? <laughs> Uruguayan Central C, shout out him, man. Um... <laughs> man, like, like, like I said, didn't it, man? I mean, well, well done to him. He scored four goals in a in a preseason friendly against was it Benfica? Um, Yaya Sonogo did that. Scored four goals against Benfica in a preseason friendly in the Emirates Cup a couple of years back, and we know how his Arsenal career ended. So I'm not going to read too much into that one, to be honest. Um, I have some doubts about his actual just overall ability, to be honest. So I am very obviously intrigued to see how he um, adjusts to the Premier League to like obviously the demands. Um, and obviously how, how tough the centre-backs are, really. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, let, let's just see. I mean, give, give, let's, give him, let's give him his props, credit where he's due. At the end of the day, four, if four goals is four goals, but I, I'm not reading too much into it, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two of them were nicely taken. Two of them, I don't know how they weren't saved, but... You yeah, one of, one of them you was a pen. Them. Yeah, one of them yeah. was a pen. The second one was a well-taken finish, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, but, I mean... It's, it's better I, than missing them. Excited. Shout out, Timo. Um, Strider I want you to talk about another striker that is not that is showing up in preseason we'll go that but instead of making great first impression he's on the comeback trail Mr Tony Martial three goals in preseason there's obviously no Ronnie there's no Cavani is this going to be the comeback year as Prez would so hope yeah man hang tight Prez because I know that Martial's his guy um do you know what? I don't know, man. Like Martial's always been a player that's had ability. We know that um, he's not really fulfilled it, I guess. He's had moments, but I don't think he's ever been consistent by maybe one season. Um, look, they want to keep him. They've said that. There is that position down the middle at the moment, but I do think Ronaldo's going to stay. And that means that, you know, then it then becomes a either rotation issue or he has to get moved out to the left. So it's difficult to... To, to, to say at this point. Um, obviously, he's had a decent preseason thus far. And if Ten Hag does want to play in down the middle, he has got, he's got a decision to make with Ronaldo. So I think, you know, football a lot of the time is about confidence. It's about feeling wanted. It's about, you know, when you're, when you're a striker, especially, and you're scoring goals, like you just can't wait for the next game. So if he can continue that and then go into the season on that form, then who knows, man? Like he could maybe, you know, come back and, and prove his worth. But yeah, I just think, with Ronaldo being the main man, we know what he's like. I, I just I can't see Martial starting down the middle week in, week out for United, to be fair. Right. All right. I'm glad we've got the neutral take. Tobes, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's funny, you know, because, hey, I've, I've been laughing for a week at, at that tweet about Ericsson kind of looking down the field and seeing bare positive black boys making movements, man. Okay, really funny, yeah. On a real... <laughs> on a real for um I've obviously been kind of keeping tabs on all, all the United's preseason fixtures more more so just for like FPL research purposes and whatnot 
But um, I'll be honest with you, man. Like uh, it's preseason, but um, Rashford, Sancho, and Martial—they all look really, really good. They all look really, really sharp. Um, I think Martial's got three goals. I think Sancho's got two or three as well. I know Rashford scored. I think he scored two as well. Um, the link-up's looking good, man. So it's uh, it's hard it's hard to say right now because obviously we know Ronaldo didn't go to Australia with the United team. Um, Ronaldo isn't Ronaldo at the end of the day. Um, Ten Hag has come out and said that um, he very much still sees him as a big part of his team. He believes he could definitely fit into his system in terms of the link-up play. Obviously, you're going to have like your naysayers kind of talk about whether or not he has um, the, the ability to press or whatever. But um, so at this moment in time, based on preseason, I, I mean, I think it is a, a Martial remontada. I have to be completely objective. But if Ronaldo does come back into the team and is the starter, then I think Martial will kind of find it difficult to really get 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 ahead of him in the, in the team, really. Because um, I, I wouldn't say there's, there's too much between them. But um, just going off preseason, man, I mean, he's looked well, he's looked sharp. I mean, I think his problem and I mean... They're very well documented. Is uh, I think a lot of his off the pitch antics gets in the way. To put it to put it kindly, you know. So I mean, if he's ready to just really work for Ten Hag, then sky's the limit, man. Like I mean, the guy he has got bags of ability. He just can't th- keep his dick in his pants, unfortunately, man. So we'll see, man. <laughs> we'll see. I, that definitely was a lot more nuanced than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> some fair play toast. Um, no, I the the way I see the Martial situation is like like you say the guy's got the talent, but at the end of the day, I I think if United want the best of him, they're going to have to treat him as top boy, right? He is going to have to be their nine. But the problem is Ronnie is better than him. It's just a full stop right there. Cool. So, in which case, what are you going to do? With t- what are you going to do with Tony Martial? Mm, like he's he's not the guy the guy for me that screams super sub. So do you bench Rashford, who again looks very good, and he's also got say the PR behind him of especially as well as a comeback, whereas Martial just looks like trash. So it's it's definitely going to be interesting how Ten Hag manages that without a shadow of a doubt. Like coming back to Carrington and just seeing Ronnie doing keepy uppies. <laughs> That's not my job. Um, right, listeners, the reason why we've sort of ratted through our teams is that we wanted to give a highlight, we wanted to shout out the bottom half, the non-European teams. We wanted to give a bit of a preview for them because obviously the season starts in two weeks. In two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about Palace battering Arsenal on opening night, or maybe not. We'll have to see on that. And Chelsea going away to Everton and all these big games. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about the bottom half teams. We wanted to give them their limelight, their spotlight. Who's had a good preseason? Who do we think is going to struggle? So, Toast, I want to start with you. Who is one of the teams that you think they're outside Europe in the bottom half that can vault up the table and maybe challenge for the Conference League or even just improve their standing massively compared to last year? Um, good question, man. Um, I'm going to just jump off the bat and say Aston Villa. Um, I've been obviously a very big fan of Steven Gerrard, obviously as a as a footballer. I think he has a great footballer in mind. Obviously did very well, broke the duck at uh, Rangers and helping them win um, the SPL. Obviously now come to Villa. I think they flattered to the sea very much last year. Let, let's keep it 100. But if you actually look at like the personnel on their team, like from top to bottom, they actually have a really, really solid football team. Like You guys know how I feel about um, Emi Martinez. They've got two really decent wing-backs in Dinia and Cash. Um, Coutinho, again, is, is obviously going to be there now um, and going to have a full season under his belt, hopefully a full pre-season as well. Um, John McGinn's absolutely quality in midfield, um, as is Douglas Louise, And then obviously you have um, Ings and uh, Watkins up top. Um, I think that's definitely a team we're going to look at who I believe they'd be chasing for a spot between sixth and eighth place for sure. Um, well, let me, let, me, let me not say six because, I mean, obviously... It, it's, it's going to be tough, um, but I think they're going to be looking at a European spot for sure. Um, because again, if, if it all kind of kind of comes together in terms of the personnel, if, if they can kind of put it together um, as a team, I think they I think they'll be they'll do really well. I, um, I also obviously caught the highlights of um, the game. I think it was two days ago against United. It was a two-two draw. Um, Leon Bailey scored the first goal. Um, I think he may have assisted the second goal from a corner. Um, looks really, really good. And obviously he had a lot of injury problems last year. He was obviously supposed to be a really marquee signing for them. And it, did, it obviously didn't quite work out because he just simply couldn't stay fit. I'm hoping he's obviously now fit, ready enough to kind of start. He's going to really bring something special to their team. I, I thought he was an absolute baller at Leverkusen. So 
definitely excited to see how he kind of gets on um, on a consistent basis within that team. And yeah, I mean, Villa are just a, a team I'm excited about this season, man, 100%. Love that, love that. Strides, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Toast, man. Uh, Villa, definitely, I think they've got a good side and um, I think it'll be interesting to see what Gerrard can do with a full season. But um, another side is, is Newcastle. Um, obviously, they finished the season really strongly. Um, and like Eddie Howe, again, similar to Gerrard, will have his first full season, obviously pre-season under their belt. Um, they've not made any like real marquee signings. I know they were going after that that striker. Was it Hugo Ikite or something like that? But I think he's going to PSG now. So yeah. I think that um, maybe they need to do a little bit more in the market. But um, on the basis of the back of the end of last season, like their home form and how they performed in general, um, they'll be an exciting side. I just think that, yeah, like they, I thought they would have done a little bit more in terms of incomings. Um, but yeah, they're definitely a team to watch. No, 100%, 100%. I think I remember hearing Eddie Howe was complaining after being given all the money, like, oh yeah, well, people now clubs are trying to charge us too much for players. It's like, yeah, that's that should not be shocking to you at all, really, should it? But I, I think you boys are absolutely spot on. They, those two teams were definitely my first choices as well. So I'm going to go for someone a little bit different. I'm going to shout out Brighton because Brighton, especially the last couple of years, they've always hovered around mid-table to like 13th, haven't they? And they always play a really nice style of football. They're usually pretty solid and they just can't put the ball in the back of the net. And they've signed that Undal, haven't they, who was popping goals left right and center in Belgium I know it's Belgium before anyone says otherwise it's obviously a massive step up but when you're putting out Neil Morpai and he's getting what 11 goals a season in the Prem usually or around like the 10 mark and you look at this kid and you see his finishing ability and you see how well Brighton create chances I think this could be the year they finally break through their perceived glass ceiling because if they don't I think they're a candidate to just never go any further despite playing that nicely like they're the sort of team that once they lose Potter they'll be done for but this year I could really see them just pushing that a little bit further even if it's only to somewhere like eighth it's just that improvement you want to see from them and you know, see what their process does you know I, I like Brighton I think they're a very balanced and solid team I think Graham Potter's an unbelievable manager my issue um, even back when they had Chris Hooten is like they simply just don't score enough goals. I, I feel as if like they focus so much on kind of just being a solid team in the midfield and defence that um, they don't do enough on the offensive side to win enough games. Like I mean, they obviously finished ninth last year. Um, they only won twelve games and they drew fifteen, which was the joint most with Crystal Palace. Um, again, if you're drawing fifteen games out of thirty-eight, it, it, there's a good chance that there's going to be a lot of nil-nil draws, a lot of one-one draws in there, simply because there's not enough like offensive firepower like you look at like the goals for for on the Premier League table last season um the likes of Newcastle the likes of Crystal Palace the likes of Brentford who all finished below them they outscored them do you know what I mean so like it, it, for me um for them to really kind of push on they really need to kind of say you know what we're gonna get a couple of well like really top class attacking signings like I've got a lot of time for like uh, Leo Trossard I think he's actually unbelievable extremely techie Mope, I'm not, I'm not like a, a massive fan of, if I'm completely honest. I know like kind of McAllister's kind of broken through from like the attack in midfield, but I just, I just feel as if they really need to prioritise scoring to try and win more games. That's the only, simply only way they're going to be able to go up the table. Like, otherwise, I, I just don't see it, man. Yeah, I get that. I get that. They, it is more of a wishful one. It's definitely for me, Villa and Newcastle, the top two, but I think Brighton... It might only be that one place, but again, it, for me, like you say, those other things have to come true. It's almost just more of a risk-taking, isn't it? Like, Absolutely. just having more... Instead of just playing attractive football, now you're going to be playing efficient football almost. Like, But we'll have to see with them. Um, Stride, just want to go to you now. Opposite way, who do you think it can then get dragged unexpectedly, almost, into a relegation race this year from one of the mid-table teams? Um, you know, you got Arsenal, obviously mid-table side. Um, there's always a nah, <laughs> to, 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 to be Whoa. fair. <laughs> nah, to be fair, um, it's it's a difficult one. I'd say um, maybe a Leicester, and 
I don't know. I read a lot about Leicester. There's, there it. seems to be some sort of like weird thing going on there at the moment. Like I don't know whether the links with Rogers to United to, uh, uh, last season have had an effect, but they've not made any real signers that I can think of. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they, haven't they haven't lost anyone. Any. They, they haven't made any. Going... Yeah. Yeah. They, so they, they so... and I think it's Girona are the only two top five league sides to not make a single signing yet. Yeah, so that in itself is is a bit shocking. I wasn't 100% sure on that. Obviously, they haven't lost anyone, but I know there's obviously the the Tillemans rumours, maybe Madison, etc. I just think they haven't made any improvements. They struggled a lot last year. Um, they have no European football to contend with, so that could be, that could be a plus. And maybe it was just uh, a case of a bad season. But I think Jamie Vardy's get, got a year older. Um, players like Johnny Evans is a year older. And they just haven't really made any improvements. And other teams around them, like we've mentioned, Newcastle, Villa, have improved. And I'm not going to say a relegation battle because I don't. I think they've got enough quality to not be relegated. But I think you know, bottom half of the league, thirteenth, fourteenth, that kind of thing. Unless they make real improvements, um, another team that was down there last year that I think could be again is Everton. They've not had a good preseason so far. Got beat four 0 the other day. And again, I just think, sorry, Jake, I know he's your, your, your fanboy, Chelsea legend, all that, but I just don't think Fat Frank's up to it, to be honest. <laughs> and I can see Everton really, really struggling uh, again this season. They've lost for Charleston. Um, whether Calvert-Lewin stays fit it remains to be seen. But yeah, I'd, so, I'd say those, those two sides, which to be honest, should be pushing for the, for the kind of Europa Conference League places, could really struggle next season. Yeah, I think... I will speak about Frank. I'm not going to defend him because I, I do agree with you to a certain point. Like I think Frank's got a real problem of, like, I was reading an interview with him of The Athletic and he was talking about he wants to build a culture at Everton. Like, he came in and there was just nothing there regarding hard work, regarding, like, playing for each other. You know, the typical cliches that you get. And he had to really focus on that. Horrible preseason. I think the only signing they've made is Tarkovsky, who, while is a good centre-back and will help the dressing room, in quotes. I, I don't think he's a transformative signing. I don't think he makes them palpably be- better. And I think it was after that 4-0, he just, you're talking to the press and he's just ripping the players immediately. And for me, you don't, like, he doesn't have that much of a standing. Like, I hear Tuchel say that about Chelsea. I'm like, well, at the end of the day, he won us a Champions League. Like, we looked terrific at times last year. I sort of get it. With Frank, it's like, no offence, mate, you barely dragged them out of that relegation battle. And it was Richarlison's individual greatness at times. Like, you had some good games, I think, of the City game, where they looked particularly good. Defensively, of course, because they didn't do anything attacking. But, yeah, like I, I, do, I do see him struggling in that role because he, I just don't think he's got the mentality side of it right. You, I don't really know about his tactics that much. I think he wants to play the right style of football, if you want to call it that. But sometimes you have to just batten down the hatches. I just don't think he has it in him to teach the players to do that and get them doing that consistently. We'll have to see. Um, Toast, what about you? Um, For me, there's a pretty clear one, man. It's got to be Southampton for me, man. Um, You kind of look at how their season ended and how their season really went. And you kind of just think they've not really made any kind of um, marquee signings this summer, to my knowledge. Um, you look at the squad, it's pretty bare, it's pretty average. You have the likes of Redmond, Wal- Walcott still on your books. These are like Premier League has-beens, man. Like, they, they, there's no way those players should really even still be in your squad if you're a serious team. Um, again, there is, they're another team who, in my opinion, they don't score enough goals. Um, che Adams and Adam Armstrong, players I really, really liked when they were playing in lower leagues. Um, it's not going to get it done in the Premier League as much as I, I kind of like them. I mean, they, they, those, these are the sort of strikers that will feast in the Championship. But um, from a Premier League level, like it's 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 not it's not doing it. Do you know what I mean? Um, we talk about maybe the likes of um, Stuart Armstrong. I think he's a decent player. Probably could do more with in terms of like goal returns. El Yunusi's never ever really kind of kicked on from his uh, from when they signed him, you know. And Teller and Gineppo are I think they're actually really good players, but they again they're more defensive minded sort of midfielders. Like they're not really gonna kind of give you the goal return. So that basically leaves. Um, James Ward-Prowse, who's an unbelievable player, obviously their talisman, their best player, but he's not going to get you a free kick or get you an assist from a corner or, or a set piece every every game, you know? So where does that really leave you, you know? Um, I think uh, 
Carl Walker Walker Peters has made a lot of strides. I didn't think he was a very good player at Tottenham. I think he, he had a really good season last year. I think Livermento is a good player, but overall, just looking at the team, looking at the consistency, looking at the quality they have, I, I think they're going to really struggle. They ended, they finished fifteenth last year. I think lost four of their last five games to end the season. So yeah, it's looking techy for Southampton if they don't buck up their ideas and get off to a good start in the season. And we we all know as well, yeah. man. Like when you don't get off to that good start, like it's it's a dogfight more or less between. It's either you change manager and like really turn it around like Newcastle did, or it's a dogfight the rest of the way, you know. So. Yeah, they should definitely be on high alert, I'd say, Southampton. 100%, 100%. I think as well, like their signings have been mostly like Man City youth players. Someone like, I think it's Gavin Bazunu in goal, um, Romeo Lavia to play as a six alongside Ward-Prowse. And don't get me wrong, like Southampton's position, like last year they really hit with players like Livermento, like giving the younger players that platform. Yeah. But you can't, but like you say, like five points off of the relegation zone last year and you're giving a, a, even more youth into your team. Uh, it's it's a dangerous way to play in terms of your Premier League status. And I I think with Southampton, I'm getting to the point with them now that they've just been there so long and never, like after the Komen Pochettino years, like they've just been floating for ages. Like Hassan Hurtle loves to play really well against a big team and all of a sudden get battered 9-0 the next week. Like, <laughs> I'm almost tired of Southampton being in the Premier League now. Like, like, do you know what's I've weird, though? It's, it's I, I've got a lot of time for Hassan Hurtle, sorry, man. Sorry, go on. Now, nah, just quickly, I've got a lot of time for Hassan Hurtle. Like, you know when we um, obviously had Jose and, and whatever else, and when Jose went and we were looking for a manager, we ended up with Nuno. Obviously, Nuno wasn't my first choice. Hasn't who it wouldn't have been my first choice, but he's someone that I just like how he tries to play on the front foot, pressing. Um, but it's a shame that obviously he hasn't really got the players and the personal, like you say, to maybe kick on with the team. So it just, I, I wish Southampton would kind of try and progress, like spend a bit of money and, and try and, you know, develop and, and push. But like you say, they're just stagnant. They're just kind of just there in the league. Don't, don't think they'll go down, but not really doing that. What? I kind of just dare. What's what's like even yeah, more crazy? Crazy to me as well is obviously we all remember the like the streets will never forget side they had a couple of years ago. Sadio Mane, like Pella, Tadic, like they, they had ballers in their team. Van Dyke, out of Do you know what I mean? They had ballers in their team. Like like you'd go to St Mary's, you'd be like, ah, this is a tough game. Like this is a tough game against like a top eight, top seven sort of side. You know. So for them to have really just regressed this much and like, yeah, like, like, you, like you said, Strizzer, like I've got a lot of time for Hassan when he first kind of came in. Um, but man, it's just been downhill really. Like they've obviously taken a couple of beatings, obviously in those really heavy defeats, I think against Leicester and City. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect a team who are like a well-established Premier League team now for quite a few years to be finishing 15th, man. Like, it's crazy to me, honestly. 100%. Um, my choice for that one, again, like, I think you two guys are spot on, so I'm having to go a bit more left field. I'm thinking Brentford. I think they started last year on absolute fire, yeah. and then they just went through a stage of just not doing anything, not contributing anything. They then bring Ericsson on board, and he looked like he transformed them. Like He was creating chances left, right, and centre. Ivan Tony looked like the player that we all thought he was going to be in terms of like, that surprise package. Obviously, they've lost Ericsson. I, as far as I'm aware, again, they haven't really made like that many major signings. I think they've got Aaron Hickey, the young Scottish fullback from Bologna, like players like that. It's just a bit. I can see Brentford definitely struggling that second season, but that second season bubble burst that Sheffield United obviously had, that Leeds United was <laughs> so close to having last year. I I think they could easily suffer from that and get quote unquote found out. Totally so, agree, man. Like, yeah. totally, totally agree. Like, yeah, that Ericsson loss was massive. Um, obviously, yeah, they came. Um, came out of the blocks like like a house on fire, absolutely blitzed Arsenal first day of the season, had some obviously like really decent wins to start the year. And then they really like stagnated, you know, and it was almost as if that Ericsson signing in Jan kind of brought them back to life. And there were a lot of kind of good performances we kind of saw after that. But um, yeah, losing Ericsson now, man, and obviously not really stamping their authority in, in, the set, in their second season in the Prem in the transfer market, at least, man, it's, it's going to be difficult for them, man. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great one, Jake. What's your, your thoughts on... Move um, on from that. Oh, go for it. 
I was going to say quickly, what's your thoughts on Wolves? Because I see Wolves as a team that might potentially struggle as well. Just because of the back end of the season, I think there was a, a few like weird comments coming out from that Bruno Large with certain players. Um, they obviously fell away no. from, the, from the Europa League kind of battle. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on them? I'll, I'll go here, if you don't mind, firstly. I think, right. I completely agree with you, Strides. I think they were very, maybe lucky's the wrong word, but you know how, like, obviously football's into a more, like, advanced stage now with their stats, right? And you talk about expected goals for quite a lot. I, but Wolves, if you looked at their expected goals against, like, Jose Sarr should have been playing me Premier League goalkeeper of the year for me by far. That kid was doing something different last year. And to expect him to replicate that performance and the Wolves' defence in general to do that, I just don't think is going to happen. Like The Raul Jimenez comeback didn't happen quite as well as I think we all almost wanted it to, given the circumstances he's been through. Maybe a second year of dealing with what he's having to deal with, he might be even better. I think they're relying a lot on Neto coming back to his full form. But I could definitely slip it, see them slipping down. I don't think they get involved in a relegation dogfight no doubt but I mean if I think Brighton are going to come back and score a lot of goals I think I've almost got to think the same of Wolves given their talent but at the same time I could definitely see them falling behind like their spine is so old like you look at someone like Moutinho he's still playing a lot of their games Ruben Neves just looks like he's plateaued completely Connor Cody looks completely comfortable in his role he still looks good but there's just they look at very danger of very much a danger sorry of where do they go next? Large, I don't think, develop them at all. I, it's an interesting one you say that because I actually quite like Bruno Large as a manager. I feel like he's had a really good impact on Wolves. Like, I mean, I don't think they were amazing last year, but I think I'm on an I say this all the time because I personally just don't feel like Arsenal have it, but I would say Wolves have an identity under Large. Like, I feel as if that is a team that loves that 3-5-2. Like, they pack... Um, Matinho, Neves and Dendonka in that midfield, you know, and the three centre-backs, um, Kilman, Cody and usually Bolly, usually kind of picks itself um, from like, yeah, I guess from an attacking standpoint, they have kind of struggled. Obviously, Neto was out injured, Podence was kind of in and out of the team with form. Obviously, they were, they were kind of just getting Jimenez back. But I think because they have that identity, in my opinion, in my opinion anyway, you, you man might disagree with me. I think, I, think, I think they'll be fine, you know. I think they'll just be, not, they'll be steady again in... Um, the middle of the path of the Premier League, and obviously, if, if um, he Chan can kind of kick on as well, then I think I think they'll be fine. Fair play, fair play. Um, right, we'll we'll move on to the next one. Toast. I want to hear from you. Like a lot of the a lot of bottom half teams, they go into trying like develop mode, especially to stay in the Premier. Yes, you'll have certain positions where they are solid but they do want to hit on their young talents. So I want to hear from you, someone that you think, whether it's like this summer or next summer, given their Premier League performances in the upcoming year, could make that move to a top six side. So whether it's a younger player that breaks out or someone that's established that finally makes that big move. Um, it's, it's, it's A, man. It's, it's, it's a good question, you know. I mean, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say anyone like stands out for me particularly, but if I was to kind of at a stretch, then maybe maybe between um, Michael Elise and um, Eze at Palace. Um, I think obviously under Vieira, they kind of come out, they've become a lot more of an attacking team. We've been able to see both of their kind of abilities. It's obviously really good to have Eze kind of fit again. Um, Palace look a lot better than uh, they've ever have really. I mean, uh, under Hodgson so Vieira I mean kudos to Vieira for obviously doing a really really good job last season man so I mean if those two boys because I, I, I mean right now I'd say in terms of potential I'd say in terms of potential and in terms of ceiling I'd say they're both extremely high if they can kind of crack on stay fit be consistent in Vieira's team I think I think there's a great chance that um, either one of them could um, end up having uh, like a big move to a, um, a top six team for sure yeah, I, I when I thought of that question, my first thought in my mind was Elise. Like that that kid when he got on the field for Palace, whether it's a case of like injury or rotation that he wasn't on it, when he was on it, he looked fantastic. Like that left foot of his looked like a diamond in the rough. Um, Strider, do you have any other names for us? Um, I really like Neto. 
I know you mentioned him earlier. He had had his injury problems last season and didn't really play much of the season. Came back towards the end, but looked a little bit off it. Um, but I think if he could have a good season for Wolves, um, being in amongst the goals, because that's something that they struggle with, um, then I think he could definitely make a move and a step up to a to a better club, man. Because you know this season there's been a lot of a lot of like um, teams that have signed wide players, wingers, whatever, and he's just not one that's been mentioned. I think it's obviously he's not played majority of last season, so if he can get fit playing, then he's one to watch for me. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. He's I'll spoil it now. He's definitely in the FPL team. But shadow of a doubt, too much value of five and a half million boys. Tubbs and Kenner taking notes as we speak, man. Oh, definitely. Tubbs has definitely been asking for the team. That boy wants help. Um, right, I'll finish it on this one. Obviously, the three promoted teams: Fulham, Bournemouth, Forest. They've all made decent moves, I think, to a certain degree. I think especially Forrest have really been spending the money. I think they've broken their transfer record twice already now. Um, Shrides, I'll start with you. What do you think is the best case scenario for any of those teams? Like, Where do you think the highest they could go is? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, if we're talking about... Uh, let's start with Fulham. For me, yeah, Fulham are getting Fulham. relegated. They're getting relegated, man. Fulham don't stay in the Prem. They come up, they go down, they come up, they go down. Yo-yo club. Um, Mitrovic bags 40-odd goals in the championship, comes to the Prem, doesn't really get more than 5-6. And that's just kind of the, the story of Fulham. So I can't really see them, you know... Is that All the teams are going to struggle, I think. I think all of the sides, Nottingham Forest as well, um, coming coming in, I think they're going to struggle to, to stay in the league. And, and the same with Bournemouth. They're all going to be in relegation battles. If I was to pick one team that I think is the most likely to stay up, weirdly, I'd say Nottingham Forest. Um, because I think a lot of the time, the team that wins the, the championship doesn't usually stay in the league. So, yeah. But I think, look, there's a lot of quality in the Premier League, man. Like, even teams we've mentioned earlier that we're saying that could potentially struggle have still got a lot more quality than the sides that are coming up from the championship. So, it's always tough, but look, like Leeds have come up, stayed in the league. Brentford have come up, stayed in the league. So it is possible. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel like it will be a, a definite struggle for them teams. Yeah, and what about you, Terrence? Um, yeah, no, you know what? I think it's actually a great point, Strizzer, man. I'd actually say Nottingham Forest, but I'd say it for a completely different reason. I feel as if um, we've kind of seen Fulham and Bournemouth kind of yo-yo a little bit in the Premier League in the past. So we kind of know in a way. I know, obviously, these are completely different sides now. It's different seasons. Um, but I guess we know what Fulham have been like when they've been in the Premier League before. Teams know what Bournemouth have been like in the Premier League before. You're coming into... Well, when, when you get a team like, I guess, um, Nottingham Forest, there's a bit of, like, the unknown, you know, where, I mean, maybe I could liken it to maybe Sheffield United, you know, who, who when they kind of came up and had that really great first season under Chris Wilder, they haven't been in the Premier League for years and years since like the, was it like 2005, 2006, you know? So um, I feel as if that kind of um, worked um, in their favour. Um, I guess just team for team, man for man. I mean, I, I do think like Scott Parker's done, has done like a wonderful job at Bournemouth and I am I would like to see Solanke, who's had a very kind of up and down career at Chelsea, um, like really touted as a youth, didn't quite work out at Liverpool, had a great season obviously in the Championship last year. It felt like he scored a goal a game, you know? Um, would be great to kind of see him crack on and kind of prove himself as an established Premier League striker as he will be like their starting centre forward, you know. But I just I just don't think um, Bournemouth have enough to kind of stay in the Premier League. Fulham have obviously lost Carvalho. I believe he's going back to Liverpool. I think he scored like 10 goals in the Championship last year. A lot of assists, a lot of like, he was a really crucial part of their kind of attack and play. And Mitrovic, man, shout out Mitrovic, man, because he he broke the, he, he smashed the Championship goal-scoring record last season, you know. He was unbelievable. But again, we've seen him in the Premier League. He's always really kind of a struggle to establish himself, you know, as like a consistent um, goal-getter for Fulham. So, yeah, man. I mean, right now, I know it probably sounds boring, but I think all three teams potentially could go right back down. But Nottingham Forest being the one team I could see potentially staying up. Yeah, that's a hat-trick for Forest. I, I think they've... For me, we've seen Marco Silva in the Prem and yeah. like you, you see his quotes already. He's getting pissed off with Fulham's recruitment. You're <laughs> starting on that bad front. 
Scott Parker, yeah, he did a great job for Bournemouth, but they had a lot of loan signs, didn't they? Like they, especially their January was absolutely crazy. And as far as I'm aware, I don't think Bournemouth have done that much of a talent infusion for the summer. And Scott Parker, again, I think it's just someone that can get very easily pissed off. Whereas Steve Cooper, like he loves managing young players. I think didn't he go to England to the under seventeens when they won that a couple of years ago? I I think. They've obviously spent a lot of money. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a lot, but they've tried to keep it like relatively like homegrown talent. You think Nico Williams? Um, they've got Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo from Huddersfield. Like they've tried to make those sorts of signings. If you see what I mean, where they're they're adapted yeah. to Championship football. Let's see if they can make that jump up. I completely agree with you guys. I think the highest I can see any of them going is something like fifteenth, sixteenth. And they'll all be in amongst it for most of the season. Like they'll go on maybe like the little purple patches, but nothing too major. But yeah, like it's going to be a hard season for them. Like because as much as they're adapted to the forty-six game season, the championship, and that is a killer. Like you watch that, and you get tired watching it, and I can't imagine playing it. So maybe the thirty-eight game prem season isn't as bad. But you look at the schedule, and it's already so packed. And they're going to be suffering just as much as when the teams of Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool, City, United are getting postponements because of European and Cup football and adds on extra, not extra games, but extra games in weeks for the likes of Nottingham Forest and Fulham. It's going to be challenging for them. It's definitely going to be a hard season for them all. But I am excited, especially for Forest. And I hope Mitrovic actually actually scores like 10 goals just to show he can do it. Even if it's one season, <laughs> he could he could be like Timo Werner and miss thirty chances. But as long as he hit double digits, I'd say they'd be like, finally, finally. Yeah, um, I'm thinking. One second, I'm, I'm I do wonder as well, Jake, for, for the ten goals. <laughs> that again, Stroud. And I was going to say, I do wonder as well whether um, you know the the gap for the World Cup may have a positive impact on on the the sides that have come up because uh, I'd assume they wouldn't have as many oh, players that will be participating. So in terms of like fatigue and things like that and whether they'll be staying training at their clubs or whatever, that may give them sort of an advantage that other clubs haven't had in previous seasons. So it'll be an interesting one to watch, man. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably be covering that next week when we presumably do our top four preview and our clubs preview. But that it's definitely going to be interesting how teams manage, like you say, that massive... I mean, it's what, a month break? That's unprecedented in the Premier League season. Like I know players like Bundesliga and La Liga, I'm not sure in Serie A or the French League, but they get their two-week break, don't they, over Christmas? Whereas we just slog straight through. So how they manage that, but then how they manage the fixture congestion is like, I think I've always been harping about is October and April already, without any Champions League games confirmed in. I know the fixture list is confirmed in for those certain bits, but like Cup football isn't confirmed in. The schedule's already fucked, to put it nicely. So how those teams manage it, if you can make an advantage of it, you're going to rock it up the table. It's just a fact. It's availability over ability at that point. If you can name a decent first 11, you're going to be good at times, I think, to be honest. Um, boys, that's us. Like, thank you ever so much. Like, I, I think it's great to highlight these teams. We don't get the chance to do it as often. Usually it's just when our teams are playing them, to be fair. I, it's going to be an interesting Premier League season, as always. Listeners, we're two weeks away. We are kicking off. The transfers are still coming in thick and fast. The FPL League is going to be set up very soon. And us three were very high last year. And you know I want that Venice gold shirt, man. <laughs> I am dreaming of that now. And, yeah, thank you ever so much for listening. We're going to be back next week as usual. Guys, it's been great. Thank you ever so much. Peace. Been a pleasure, lads. Players, everyone. Hey, hi.